It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Welcome to the Unmasked Podcast. This is at Celine, and I am joined tonight by my two lovelies at Southern Cynic and Akira. Say hello, ladies. Hello. Um, so we are on episode three, and thank you guys for sticking with us. This um, episode is Colonel Panic, and I am hoping that our intro music changed up this week and that you just heard Land of the Free by Joey Badass. Um, I just want to give a shout-out to at Dystopian Prince. He um, said to me this week on Twitter, he said, have you listened to any of Joey's music? And I had not. So I spent the week um, delving into his work. And I like it a lot. Have any of the other ladies ever listened to any of Joey Badass's songs before? Yeah, I've managed to listen to a few tracks. Um, I kind of had my, I think probably the ultimate fangirl-ish moment that I had with it was um, leaving work one day. This was around the time that Devastated had um, um, come out. And I'm on the radio, you know, I had the radio turned on. Then all of a sudden I'm listening to the song. I was like, Oh crap! They're playing Joey Badass and just having that stereotypical moment from like the movies where the, you hear a song on the radio for the first time. And yeah, so I was just really excited to finally be, you know, have Miami repping him and all that. So I mean, but he's doing Joey's doing some really good things. So um, you know, yeah. really happy to see, really happy to see him come up. Yeah, he has really, like, I was listening to him on Spotify and just, you know, going through with whatever Spotify um, threw up there for me. And there are lots of songs I really like. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, what he's talking about is great. And then he has really just good music with it, you know. Like, sometimes either I really like the music and I don't really like the words or I really like the words and I'm not feeling the music. But, you know, he's legit. Um, Southern Cynic, if you haven't heard him before, I, 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 like right now I'm loving On and On. That's like one of my favorite um, songs right now from him. And um, Land of the Free, um, I posted that on um, 4th of July. I thought that was a very appropriate song for the four. <laughs> so if you guys, if you listeners haven't um, checked out his music before now, please check it out. He is great. But um, yeah. we're going to get into this episode because this episode was like, whoa. <laughs> so like I said, the title of the episode is Colonel Panic. And um, because I am not a geek, I looked up um, what does Colonel Panic mean? And it's basically a computer error from which you can't quickly or easily recover. And we see that um, kind of throughout the episode, especially with Elliot this week. But let's start out with um, a segment I'm calling Rest in peace, Romero. Um, And we start the episode off and we see Romero and Mobley together. And Romero is giving Mobley the history of the arcade, basically. And so what we learn is that every person who has owned the arcade has, um, they've had violent outcomes. Southern Cynic, what did you think when you were hearing the story about the history of the arcade? Well, the stories were crazy, but um, the way that he was telling it and the endings, the tragic, horrible endings that everybody faced, I, it was at that point that I became worried for F Society, and mm. I kind of said, Dom's going to figure this out pretty quick. They're going to be discovered. They're going to be blasted out into the open. This is the setup to prepare you that some things were going to come to light that shouldn't. Oh, that's a really good connection that, that, that those stories were just going to be foreshadowing for the viewers of this ain't going to end well, be warned. Very smart, very smart. Now, 
Akira, we were talking on um, DMs today, and you had some theories, which um, Southern Cynic and I were like, yeah, that's deep. So please share with the, the listeners your theories with that conversation. Okay, well, this, um, yeah, usually with a lot of episodes, I'm always watching them again and again, and just, it's kind of crazy how you always watch and come up with something new. So I'm watching this again, and as I'm listening to um, Romero tell the story once again, but also thinking back to the previous episode, and even the um, part one episode where there's um, the introduction of all these religious themes and whatnot, so something just came to me, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, am I, you know, a little crazy here? Is there somewhat of a connection with these stories and the seven deadly sins? So, you know, I'm like, all right, let me um, go back and refresh it a little bit because I'm looking, you know, thinking back to the story, like isolating all the stories, and I'm thinking, okay, trying to match up. Okay, well, what seven deadly sin is this um, story connected to? Which seven deadly sin is this story connected to? And then also with some of them, you can, I guess, tend, you can kind of say that some of them may have more than one seven deadly sin connected to it. But as listening to it, like with the family that had um, the husband and wife duo that um, paraded um, the freak show, um, mm-hmm. I was like, well, that could, I was like, you could kind of tie that to um, pride being the seven deadly sin, you know, where they kind of view themselves as superior to the people that they're showing off for money. And then, um, and then uh, with the woman who turned it into an arcade, she gets drunk every night. So I was like, well, if you can tie gluttony to her getting drunk every day, then yeah, that pretty much, I guess, would be her dead first, her deadly sin. And then, um, and then the final, most more recent owner that we know of before it change, exchanges hands with Romero, um, it's the father and his two sons. And one of the sons wants to just sell it, but the dad doesn't want to. So he just decides, all right, I got a plot, so dad has to go. So I was like, all right, that's kind of, um, you know, a little bit of greed in there, um, you know, because he just wants to, you know, you sell something for money, but dad doesn't want to. All right, dad's got to go. And the fact that he is just so... that the son is just able to do that without a second thought, you know, I mean, it's kind of messed up. And then um, with Romero, um, I came across upon more research on seven deadly sins. There was um, a little section dedicated to historical sins. And the one that I think we can tie with Romero, knowing what happens to him, um, it's a sin called um, Isadia, I think. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Um, and that's basically um, when you don't take care of something that you were supposed to. And so mm-hmm. with Romero's situation, before he was, before he got out of jail, he was, a, he was cellmates with um, the brother who ended up being prosecuted and sentenced for the murder of um, the dad. And I think the brother ended up dying as I guess the result of the pressure from the gun. Um, so he promised, you know, he made Romero promise all right, when you get out, burn this arcade down to the ground. It's haunted. It's, uh, you know, there's no good that can come from this place. But Romero didn't do that. And then also we can tie us society to, you know, wrath. They're basically, I mean, not, you know, everyone in one sense and in, in one aspect, they're all out for revenge in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was like, yeah, so that's basically what came to me as I was watching that scene. So I was like, all right, I got to talk to y'all about this and see what y'all think. <laughs> I, I mean, and it's definitely plausible. I mean, I have said before that my thoughts are definitely not the writer's thoughts. I am not on their level. But, you know, that makes perfect sense. And we see um, the violent end that Romero comes to in the episode. So it's definitely playing out for him as well. Um, you know, when Mobley finds him, finds him dead. Um, so I, I definitely think that's plausible. And you two smarties, I commend you for coming up with those connections. Um, because that's what makes the, the series so interesting that you can just come up with theory after theory after theory, and they're all completely plausible. Um, so we see Mobley and Romero, and Mo- Mobley's basically recruiting Romero to be part of their crew because we're assuming Elliot um, knows that he's a good freaker. 
And um, we see Mobley go to Romero's house when he finds him. And then he leaves, and that brings um, Dom into the picture. Um, so we had a poll last week. Um, I don't know if you ladies saw the results or not, but we had a discussion. I asked you two who was the lonelier, Angela or, or Dom. And I believe Southern Cynic, you said, did you say Angela? No, you said Dom. Dom. And Akira, you said Angela. So we um, put it to the people, and overwhelmingly, Dom um, was deemed the loneliest one. So I said, Dom is the loneliest number. She got like 73% um, votes from the polls. Yeah. So she yeah, won in know. a landslide. Right. You know, I can't be too mad at that, you know. And, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, one thing that I love with the show is that it does handle that theme of loneliness and just goes to show you the different ways that people can be lonely. But again, if you were talking to an inanimate object, then yeah, you know, you're pretty lonely. (laughs) Yeah. The thing that struck me with her this week is when she's laying in bed and she asks Alexa, what time is it? Like right before she said that, I'm like, her clock isn't even set back there. It's like blinking 12 o'clock. You know, how Mm -hmm. when you haven't even set your clock, like, she's so, I don't know, she just seems so disconnected in some ways. Like, when she's doing her hair and she has, like, the heart curler and she's doing all this stuff and then just ends up putting it in a ponytail and she's spending all this time putting on all this makeup. But then when you look at her, it's like, you still don't look real fresh, girl, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then what's interesting with her, especially what you were saying with the clock, is that she's looking through her phone, and the time is on the phone right. The time is on the phone right then and there. So she's asking Alexa a question that she already knows the answer to. So I thought that was interesting too. So I guess it's just that again with that loneliness and that need just to have somebody or something to talk to. So. Yeah. yeah. What did you think, Southern Cynic, seeing a little bit more of Dom alone this week? I, I think I said it last episode, Dom strikes, you know, a little too close to home for me. I think a lot of people who who are depressed could really just see themselves in her. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had those times where I'm looking at something in my apartment, it's like, ugh. I need to clean that up. It's probably been there for a week, but no, I'm not going to do that right now, you know. Or it's mm-hmm. like her doing her hair. It's like, okay, this is just taking too much effort and it's too much time, and I just can't muster the energy to even bother with it. Let me just go, you know. I think a lot of people have been there with that, and they, and they see Dom as a mirror of themselves. So maybe they can just relate a little bit more than to Angela's You know, um, one thing that I don't know if you guys caught this, when she was looking at her phone, she was either looking at a website or an app about social anxiety. So I wasn't sure if that was something she felt was true about herself or if that was maybe something she was researching for a case or what. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's interesting that that she's looking at that. Did either one of you catch that she did that? Yeah, um, I think she was um, researching, looking looking at news articles about um, Gideon's death. And I think that, I think that the, I think that it was an ad that just like popped up really with that. Um, So, and of course she just immediately dismisses it. And um, Mm -hmm. So, which we pretty much all do when it comes to these pop-ups, like, okay, app, go away. I'm trying to do something, and you just interrupted me. Um, but yeah, so, um, but yeah, but again, but I think that also on one hand, it could have been something that she may or may not at one point have researched or looked up because sometimes with some of these, um, you know, you could be searching, like on Facebook, for example, you could be on Amazon at one point looking up some item or looking up this, and then all of a sudden you'll be looking through Facebook, and it's like, oh, because you searched this, here is like a okay. list of things that can you I say? At. Can I just say that freaks me the F out 
every time that happens. Like, (laughs) it bothers me to no end, the lack of anonymity you have on the Internet. Like, I don't think you can expect privacy at all at this Mm -hmm. point. Like, you should just always assume someone's listening to you, um, someone is looking at your keystrokes, basically, but still, it freaks me out every time those little ads come up on Facebook because I searched for a a birthday present for my kid and now it's on my Facebook feed. I'm just like, oh, this is this is a bit much for me. But um <laughs> but speaking of searching, et cetera, after um <laughs> my one of my favorite scenes is after Rome after Romero is found and Dom um shows up at the house. I believe the local police called her because they found a list of um FBI names. And emails, I believe. That's why she was called. But she walks in and she basically sees all these men doing it wrong and basically just kind of checks them on it, like the guy who blows up the hard drive and the guy who's at work when he's obviously sick. And she just basically schools them on their job. And I just thought that was a really empowering moment for women. Um, what did you think about that when she showed up at um, Romero's house, Southern Cynic? It was it was funny to me. I, I love the way that she is always in control and in check when she's in front of other people. But again, you mm-hmm. have that, that transition to when she's by herself. It's a completely different story. So how does she muster all of that control and just takes over the situation. She's always in charge, you know, when she's around um, other officers or when she's working her case somewhere. It's it's, it's crazy parallels there, and I just wish um, I had more insight into it. But I, I love that um, these FBI guys, they're so, so stupid. I want to know how to do that. So, you know, knock on wood, the unfortunate time that I passed that, Nobody would be able to get on my computer and see anything. I wanted to blow up and burn. Oh, I'm sure someone could tell you how to do that. <laughs> tell me how to do that. You guys, please tweet at Southern Cynic on how to booby trap her hard drive in case she um, dies at home alone <laughs> without someone to wreck it for her. <laughs> it, and speaking of useful skills, Dom works her way into um, Romero's house later by um, – offering the roll joints for his mom. Um, And in the process, you know, she makes some discoveries. And once again, we see Dom, you know, putting on this friendly persona to manipulate and get what she wants, and she does it like a master. Um, Akira, what did you think of that? And what do we think about search warrants and going through blind ladies? Packing materials for clues. What did you think of all of that, Akira? Well, it's what we said of Dom last week, Dom being Dom, um, that being very personable, um, easily gaining your trust. Um, so she definitely knew knew her stuff about Romero's mom before she even went to the um went to the location or if not only that, just able to be very observant and pick up on details about a person. Um, so that was one thing that I noticed about her as well. Like she, you know, it's also like Elliot said once um, one episode, how people are, it's so easy to read people. If you just read the signs, it's like they have a flashing neon sign about them, you know, Mm -hmm. hanging over their head. So she was definitely able to use that to her advantage to even gain access inside the house because at first the mom wasn't even going to, wasn't even about letting her in. So she was like, okay, well, I know that you like to smoke pot. Um, I can, you know. I'm pretty sure Romero probably used to do that for you. I can roll up a few for you. And, you know, through that, she's able to gain access. And then, of course, you know, most often than not, once she's inside, you know, she has, technically she has free reign to just look through things, even though, um, you know, and there's also that whole plain sight thing because it's like, all right, you're Mm -hmm. in there without a warrant, but yet, you know, mom invited you in. 
That so wasn't like, in yeah. plain sight. That wasn't plain sight, <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, it was balled up paper in plain <laughs> sight, but you just decided to unravel it. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, if anything, I'm like, okay, Dom, you know, going through um, balled up pieces of paper that, any, you know, nobody else, anybody else would have been like, Okay, yeah, it's just another random flyer for a party that, you know, mom is obviously not going to go to. Um, but, yeah, she sees something there like, hmm, weren't there these kind of parties all over after? So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Dom, Dom, Dom. Dom is going to get to the nitty-gritty of everything. So it's like you better be on your P's and Q's and everything when it comes to Dom because, Dom is a beast when it comes to getting any little bit of information that she needs in order to build her case against whoever it is that she's investigating. So, I mean, I just love that about her, that she is just a powerhouse and able to not only read people, but able to just tear people down. Like you said, the guy, um, the all-male crew that she's around. And then one thing that I also found interesting with that is that she keeps you know, she just berates him on how he's sick, coughing and sneezing, and, again, to kind of tie whatever she said, to, you know, related to computers, like, you know, you really shouldn't be out here infecting your whole crew. That's very irresponsible of you. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Dom, as much as I don't want to cheer for her, because I know that she will be the downfall of F-Society, well, if F-Society is not the downfall of themselves, I, I can't help but I can't help but cheer her on in the certain you know when she's put in situations like that where she's in, you know having to navigate what is predominantly a man's world and they have their moments when they obviously remind her of that so mm-hmm. yeah Dom is a complex for me where I'm cheering her on and then on the next hand I'm like okay Dom don't get too close <laughs> you know I agree what do you think Southern Cynic I just love that she's so socially awkward that it makes her blunt and she doesn't have any kind of filter whatsoever. Because mm. she, she has been like that later on um, when she goes to China during the meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, she, she has no filter. She just says what she wants and she knows maybe it's the right thing to say and do and it's going to jar everybody and they're going to fall all over themselves and she's going to get that information out of them from that. So she One thing we no go ahead her 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 awkwardness to her advantage definitely she she does speaking of awkward there is one there's the the scene the masturbation scene with her and she's chatting she's doing like chat she's going school. I'm like how are you gonna that takes a lot of hand um. I don't even know how to <laughs> You have to, like, be coordinated and to be typing and reading and concentrating on your business. And I don't know. I felt like she was doing it, like, in the most complicated way <laughs> possible. Uh, unless, her, unless her phone has some voice text thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't have Alexa read those. <laughs> oh my God. Well, who knows? Honey, yeah. you do you. You do you with your typing. Well, I I have to. I was watching it with my hub, and I wish she wasn't there because I wanted to pause it and read. <laughs> but I don't think he would have been that patient with me. So. I'm, I said to myself, I need to go back and read it, but obviously I didn't. I might do it later tonight when I'm alone. But um, anyway, so one of the things that, that comes out of Romero's death is that Mobley, um, Darlene shows up, and they go to meet with Trenton briefly. And um, I thought it was so, – when Darlene was in the house waiting and she was flipping through that book, I'm like, is she flipping through? the Koran like that all lackadaisical? Isn't that disrespectful? But maybe that's not the book she was holding. But um, one of the things that that scene revealed with Trenton, um, Mobley, and Darlene is that Mobley doesn't really trust Darlene and Elliot. 
What did you think of that, Akira, when when that came out, that Mobley's really unsure about going forward with that society? Well, um, I think that what's going on with Mobley is just a product of, you know, normal reaction to the situation that he's in, um, where, um, you know, I mean, obviously he knew that, you know, going after E-Corp was going to be a whole dangerous thing, but I don't think that he, and you know, foresaw that anyone was actually going to be killed in the, you know, mm-hmm. going to die in the process. So um, I think that his reactions are pretty just natural to what's to to what's going on because he didn't foresee anyone that was going to die. But then also, again, with what was going on and what they were all doing was shrouded in so much secrecy. But I mean, of course, that's just how the Dark Army operates. Um, you know, Dark Army isn't just going to let anybody up in their territory and start talking to them. Um, so he was like, okay, well, they talked to, you know, Darlene was like, well, I'm the only one, you know, they only talked to me. I didn't tell them anything. And Mobley was like, no, that's actually not true. They didn't just talk to you. And, you know, with, with that, we know who else they were talking to, um, if not Darlene, then Elliot. So I think mm-hmm. that, one, the fact that someone died and he did not think that anybody was going to actually that that was a possibility of happening, but two, being out of the loop of what's going on. And most often than not, when you're in these high stakes situations and you don't know as many details as you want to know, your brain starts doing some crazy overthinking and you just start having this ultimate freak out where, um, you know, he's just, all right, he's not really sure who he can trust anymore, where there are these people Darlene, who he thought, you know, at one point that he could trust. And now mm-hmm. he's like, can I trust? He's like just questioning everything. Can I trust this person? Who exactly in the circle can I still trust? You know, because he's also, free, you know, he does, there are so many circumstances with regarding Romero's death that at that point he doesn't know, you know, because yeah. he's like, who could it have been? You know, Darlene is trying to, like, you know, pacify him by saying, well, Romero was in drugs, so, you know, it's probably just one of them, one of those, a deal gone bad or something like that. And Mobley's just not having any of that. He's like, no, like, there was the, you know, he's just, like, dead set on thinking it's probably Dark Army. Cause, but also at the same time, I'm like, you know what, if it was Dark Army, you know, yeah. like, Dark Dark Army is a lot more... I mean that is a tightly run that is a tightly a well oiled a well oiled machine as we come to see much later mm-hmm. in terms of how they do things uh, because they don't leave any type of any type of evidence behind. <laughs> yeah, he would never have found his body ever. Right. What did you What did you think, Southern Cynic? Well, didn't he suspect that Elliot was the one who did it because uh, Romero said that had told Mowgli that he had a gun pulled on him. That is true. That is true. He said that at the beginning. So him being Mowgli is And I don't think they know where Elliot is because I don't think Darlene has told him. Hmm. I think, actually, I think that Mowgli doesn't, well, it's not made clear, although it's kind of alluded that he does know because in, um, after Darlene has her freak out with um, the guy posting, pic- you know, taking pictures of with the um, Wall Street bull, right. mm-hmm. um, where he where he asked Darlene, "Have you talked to Elliot yet?" Um, so I think that on one hand he does know, but um, but again, still, yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, I mean, I think that Mobley is just completely freaking out and just trying to grasp at any type of straw that he can grab on right now in terms of finding a solution to what to his many questions as to who could have done it. So I yeah, really I don't think any of them thought about the real fallout of the hack. You know, right. like they were so planned out about the actual hack and what they thought was going to happen that they haven't mm-hmm. been able to really um recover from what's actually happening. Like Trenton said, I don't want to be part of your, you know, these silly tricks like burning the money and cutting off the bull's balls and things like that because now it really feels like it's not as thought out. 
that mm-hmm. it's more reactionary now. And I could definitely see where Mobley is, you know, kind of having his own kind of kernel panic himself um, mm-hmm. because of Gideon and then finding Romero and everything. So it's definitely going along with the theme of the episode, um, which the writers were so good at. Um, but talking about the, the fallout from Gideon, we get to see Angela um, this episode. And I said that um, she basically has some schooling from Philip Price this episode. Now, I know you ladies love Mr. Price, so I'm, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about this. So Angela is in his office, um, and he they're talking, and he... Um, tells her he doesn't like the interview that she set up for him, which we saw her do, I think, in episode two. Was it episode one or two? I think it was episode two, the Bloomberg interview. And she kind of, you know, actually stands up to him, which was nice to see. And um, kind of out of the blue, he invites her to a restaurant that night, um, a very exclusive restaurant, and you get to see her get ready um, for this event, and then she shows up. So, Cynic, what did you think when you saw Angela getting ready for this dinner and then what actually happened at the dinner? Well, with her getting ready, I was just having a, oh, baby, oh, no, boo-boo, what are you doing kind of moment with her, the way that she was giving herself affirmations and everything, and it just gave me the creeps. Like, is she... Is she planning on going there to flirt with Price? Like, it, does she think that Price wants her? Does she want Price? I, it, it totally skeeves me. And then when she walked in, you know, sashaying through the restaurant and, and happened to look upon these people sitting at the table and the, the way that you could see the, I wouldn't say anticipation and joy that she had just fall out of her face. What was she mm-hmm. actually expecting to go down there? You know, I mean her her you, cleavage her cleavage was down to her belly button. So what do you I think she thought? She looked good. I she looked good, but oh no, baby. And Price, you know, on the other hand, I I can't tell what's his game with her too. Is he just gaming her? Does he see that she maybe has some kind of affection for his power? I don't know. Their, their whole relationship skis me so bad, and it, it's it's going to turn out horribly. I think in season three, it's just going to be. I don't know. I don't know. What did it's you creepy. think, Akira? It was creepy. It was. Yeah. Um. Um. Well, obvious. I think that it is a interesting dynamic that's going on between Angela and Philip Price, where both where either has something that the other wants. Um, so with Angela, um, I think that she views him like, you know, as the key to kind of just taking down the entire corporation because, you know, I guess it's kind of, maybe kind of a whole, the buck stops here type of mentality. Um, so, but then also at the same time, like you said, you know, there is some attraction to how much power that he has and things that you can do when you have that type of power. So on one hand, I think that she is seduced by it, but also I think that there is a fear towards that type of power. But I think because, you know, we see her going through these affirmations and everything where, um, you know, she realizes that she has to become this soulless person or she has to put on the mask of being this soulless person in order to be able to function in this type of environment. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she doesn't, want to lose sight of the person that she is, you know, it's that I'm, you know, I am a good person down at heart, you know, what am I, you know, I think reaffirming to herself her reasons for doing this. I'm here to bring this company down. And then also with Philip Price, I think that he is enticed by the innocence that Angela possesses. Um, You know, this person who is not, corrupted by the world who has been stomped on by the world but yet still but yet still somehow believes that she can make a difference in it that she can rise above the evil that goes on in this world and prevail over it um i think that he's enticed by that 
Um, maybe at one point if he was in that same type of situation before he went over to the dark side, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also he looks at, but again, I think that he also looks at that innocence and that naivete, if I'm saying that right, and knows that he can use that to his advantage too because what we see him do towards the end of that dinner, he gives her what she wants, but there's also something in it for him too. What specifically, you know, initial revenge for, you know, what? Um, what were they doing? Something with insider trading. Insider trading, that's what it was. Um, so, yeah, so I think that he, yeah, so I think that it's something for him, like it's enticement, but also knowing that he can use her. And then for Angela, she's seduced, but also at the same time does, at the same time fears what that type of power can do to a person. I I almost, I feel two ways. It starts out with um, Price giving her condolences somewhat um, about Gideon, saying, you know, it's hard when bad things happen to good people type of a a deal. And Mm -hmm. so with Angela, I almost felt like maybe she was trying to seduce him um, and some way to get what she wants. But when I, what I see with Price and her, I almost feel like he's grooming her. Um, Mm -hmm. He's really good at keeping her off kilter um, with his interactions with her. Because at first, when she said the thing about the interview, he starts talking about the dinner. And so you kind of think that he's upset with what she said. But then the last thing he says to her is, you are, you're right about the interview. So that's kind of throwing right. her off. And then he ta- starts to talk about the picture in his office that she's always looking at, which is the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which started World War I. Um, right. And then at the dinner, I thought what he did was so insidious with her that he has her spend the evening with these two men who – you know, did horrible things to her family. They were part of the decisions that hurt her family, but had her in this position where she got to see them as people. He told them, you know, told her about their families. You know, this one guy is a grandpa. And then he tells her they were in the room when Colby made that decision. Um, they do insider trading all the time and really basically telling her they're, they're big criminals. Here's this evidence. You make a decision, but you have to think about the repercussions. So it almost feels like he was taking her to school, trying to teach her a lesson, trying to reveal things for her mm-hmm. or to her. And it was just you know, he he's like 10 steps ahead and he has the end game in mind. So you do have to wonder, like you said, what is his plan for Angela? But I also wonder, like you said, what is Angela's plan for him? And right. neither one is clear. Right. And, I also, clear. and also with that scene, one thing that I, you know, that he says to her, you know, uh, you're panicking right now. This is a big decision that you're going to have to make. But I'll tell mm-hmm. you, make, you know, once you remove emotion, you'll do just fine. And I think with that, he's definite. That's him giving her that final push that she needs in order to, in order to make that decision to turn the guys in. Because at because again, she also has to remember that these are guys that okay, yeah, they have families. One of them's a grandpa, but at the same time they decided to make a decision that would destroy so many other families, harm so many families. And they, and it's safe to assume that they did, well, no, they did it without emotion too. Did they, you know, Mm -hmm. did they think about what, you know, did they think about how that was going to affect them? No, at the end of the day, they just basically thought about the bottom line. So again, these, you know, these are decisions. He's given her that key piece of information that, you know, when it comes to these decisions, remove emotion, and you'll know what you'll know what you have to do. Um, but then also, <clears throat> but then also with that, I love how he refers to them as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of the uh, yeah, the uh, all the times of having to study Shakespeare, um, and of course, we're just their story. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I just yeah, I just got a kick out of that. That was funny with you know, with of course well, what happens to them. And I think you know once again the writers do such a great they did such a great job in season two of really delving into characters um, mm-hmm. so deeply and they talked they've talked about this in interviews that season two was so character driven um, as opposed to what we're going to see in season three which is going to be back to the plot so all this groundwork that they are laying with us um, for season two has thus far been just so beautiful. Um, but speaking of characters, let's get to our main character. Let's let's check in on Elliot, who is um, <laughs> freaking out, panicking, um, as the theme of the episode um, has been showing us. So we ended season or episode two with him on the phone, um, and once again, they were great with just dropping all these clues to the fact of where Elliot actually is because where do you see a phone like that in somebody's house? I mean, it looks like a pay phone. Um, but we hear him talking to Tyrell and he's having this conversation um, asking Tyrell where he is, et cetera. And Tyrell is, of course, speaking cryptically to him. And at the end of the conversation, we see Mr. Robot show up again causing Elliot to act out. Um, Southern Cynic, what did you think about Elliot, um, the conversation with Tyrell, and some of the choices he made this episode? Drugs are bad, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Bad. (laughs) But um, I, I like the little subtle clues that we we know where Elliot is because, you know, um, I think, was it Tyrell or or Elliot who says, you know, somebody could be listening in? And yeah. That, you know. That we should have picked up on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, Mr. Robot coming in to, to cut it all off before, it, you know, too much was said, too much was given away. But um, can we just jump right into the scene? With Jump into it. Oh, my God. This is the best episode. Um, I, first of all, I want to know, has anybody ever taken that much Adderall? Is this really a representation of what happens when you're on 200 milligrams of Adderall a day? Oh, okay. I, I'm, I haven't taken that much, but I have to say that three people in my house are per, actually prescribed Adderall. Mm-hmm. I am not. I have taken Adderall um, before because I had to drive a really long time, and my hub said, here, take one of these. If you get tired, you know, it'll wake you up. I took 10 milligrams, only 10. So each one of the pills is basically 10 milligrams. So the first time he took it, he took nine pills because I counted, so he was taking 90. I took 10 milligrams. I felt like I was so wide awake. I felt like I could do anything. I I think I was in the middle of having to write like a dissertation. I felt like I could have pulled over on the side of the road and just written that dissertation real quick. Like you feel just like it's it's very odd. You don't feel high. You just feel very aware. Of everything and just, yeah, it was good. But once again, I took <laughs> till, I took only ten, only ten milligrams. As someone who is not diagnosed with ADHD, which means I don't need that stimulant. But yeah, it was good for just ten. So with as much as he was taking, I think that was pretty accurate. Oh, my God, but everything was just uh, – I think I remember watching it <clears throat> the first time seeing it when that guy popped up, the man in black, and they snatched mm-hmm. him out you know, and put him in the um, SUV and kidnapped him. And I remember when I saw the trailer, I was so worried, like, what is going to happen to Elliot? You know, did they finally catch up to him? Is this Dark Army? Is this the FBI? Who who snatched him, you know? They they really set it up for the okie doke. And then the discovery <laughs> – <laughs> they were pouring the, the cement 
in his mouth, and I was screaming at the TV like, no, what is happening? What is happening here? And then we see it all come up, and mm, uh, I was so glad I had finished my dinner. But I remember seeing everybody panicking online, like, what is this? Oh, my God, is he really going to get back as he's doing that? And I remember reading, I think, uh, an article that said that, yeah, he, um, it was, what was it, cream of wheat? And Mm. he did, um, you know, end up um, vomiting just a little bit, but he kept going through it. Oh, yeah, he kind of did really eat his own vomit. He earned that (laughs) That 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 scene that scene when he's doing that the look on Mr. Robot's face as he's doing it like when Mr. Robot is looking at you like you're crazy that's your clue that you've gone too far and Mr. Robot looked appalled he was shocked and appalled <laughs> and so was everyone else watching that scene. It was epic. <laughs> and everything that he, he, he was experiencing, you know, like poor Leon, he was so concerned. So what did he do? <laughs> well, he couldn't well, stop getting the drugs. You know, this is kind of on Leon, too. And he, he has mm-hmm. to take something. He should have yeah. known better, considering well, who mean, he was. Well, to Leon's credit, he did tell him, like, you know, go easy on this before you start taking on this. And as he handed it to him, he was like, you know, I'm not your keeper, and I damn sure ain't going to be your reaper. So, you know, Leon told him. But, you know, sometimes people just don't want to listen. And Elliot is stubborn, (laughs) you know, to be one way of putting it. But not just to say that he's stubborn. At this point, Elliot is just desperate and doing and going through any – any method possible that he thinks might actually rid him of Mr. Robot. So, yeah, this is just, you know, the actions of a desperate man trying to get rid of, um, trying to get rid of a, you know, personality. Mm. I mean, that's how I get rid of personalities, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, yeah, but I mean, watching that, watching that particular scene. I mean, I usually don't do too well in watching scenes where somebody vomits. I mean, it's so funny where I, you know, with all the violence and stuff that you see on TV, like okay, yeah, that type of stuff I can watch. But when it comes to somebody vomiting, I'm like turning my head, like grossed out. Uh-uh, can't watch that. It's not the, um, the fact he vomited; it's that he ate. The went back out yeah. and just yeah. to get the pills. And at oh. that point, it was like, I, I, I mean, it I was just, I pretty much had the same expression on my face as Mr. Robot had. You know, I'm like, are you for real? It ain't been like, you're thinking to yourself, it can't be that serious. And you're like, actually, it is that serious. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it was, it was bad. I think the scene when he is, when he said he's up to 200 and milligrams and I think he said he hadn't slept in five days and he was having a, um, a fatal internal error and they were doing the pixelation of it mm-hmm. while he, I'm like, man, this show is just brilliant. It's just brilliant the way they are having us experience Elliot's reality right now. Um, but even, you know, he has this breakdown, he has his meltdown in the, the, the prayer group and poor Elliot. And at the end, when he says, I hope I didn't say that out loud, I'm like, wow, (laughs) (laughs) you did, you did, boo, you said it real loud, but you know, it brings him into Ray. It gets him with Ray and, um, we see that Ray has Elliot's notebook that he's been writing in um, the last few days. He's just been writing gibberish, basically. Um, But Ray has the notebook, and obviously he's read it because he is using Mr. Robot in these um, hallucinations, this personality to connect with Elliot um, and shares with him, you know, that he understands because he's been talking with his wife, his dead wife, et cetera. And he's really making these connections with Elliot. 
and getting him to talk. And so I have the question for you ladies. Who do we think is a better therapist, Ray or Krista? So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you I'm gonna ask you first, Southern Cynic. Who do you think is giving Elliot better therapy, getting better results with him right now, Ray or Krista? I'm gonna have to go with Krista, based okay. on the fact that Ray is only talking to Elliot as a means to get what he wants out of Elliot. He's manipulating Elliot. That is he, true. He, yeah, he got the tool to figure out what's going on in Elliot's head, and he's twisting it around to get Elliot to do what he wants him to do in the end. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to have to go with Krista on that. Okay, Ray, Akira. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Southern Cynics there. Um, yeah, and go with Krista again because, you know, her motives for helping him come from a genuine place. Um, even though Elliot says she might be bad at reading people, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, besides that, I mean, Krista, Krista just comes from a good place where she wants to help him. And he obviously knows that, which is why he reaches out to her, um, after what he did. Um, no, I told her that, you know, she might not want to talk to me anymore after what I did, but, um, yeah, you know. I mean, and Krista, yeah, I mean, I just love watching scenes with um, Rami and Gloria. Oh, man. I wish, I mean, I hope that we get more of them in season three. Um, But, yeah, just to even, I mean, but to even slowly see him open up, really, I think that that's something that we see between him and Krista, but we never see really between him and Ray. Like, Elliot pretty much still, you know, is, you know, non-responsive really when it comes to talking with Ray. I mean, they're, yeah, they connect on that level, but at the same time, they're real. I don't really, you know, I don't really think that there is, he's talking to him just to actually help them. It's more so like a, yeah, we relate on this way. But, and while we're at it, can you do this for me? Whereas with Krista, um, she genuinely wants to help him and Help him get help him get through all this. Um, so yeah, I gotta yeah I gotta agree and go with Krista on that one. Okay, I I don't I don't disagree. I think they definitely have different motives. I do think Ray, because he knew about the presence of Mister Robot and Krista doesn't, he was able to connect with Elliot in a different way for his own purposes, of course, but. Um, just getting Elliot to even admit to there being another persona or this thing that he's struggling with, I thought was um, major for Elliot. Um, Definitely Ray is being manipulative with him. And we saw the um, scene earlier when he is, has basically beat up the other guy who was trying to work on the website. And, did that actually happen the way that it happened? That wasn't in the prison, right? No. I'm assuming it was. And I'm assuming that was actual reality at that point. Yeah, I would want to think that that's outside of the prison, too. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I assume so because the wife and the little boy were in the background and and all that. So, yeah. yeah. So, so basically, I mean, unless they were visiting, and <laughs> there I go again. <laughs> you know, unless the unless the wife and child were visiting, and Ray just popped in on visiting hour. Um, yeah, but I want to I want to think that that happened outside of prison. What did you think, Southern Senate? Um, I think it definitely happened outside of the prison, just for the fact that Elliot's not there. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought too. Because Elliot wasn't there, it probably actually um, happened. The guys that he rolls with are, I think, in actually in the book, he Elliot points out that those are some of the um, the guards at the prison. So yeah, that's Ray's mm-hmm. work. So yeah, it's outside of the prison. 
Okay, that's good. I think we once um, we're gonna. I think we should do one podcast where we just talk about the red wheelbarrow. What do you guys think? I'm down. Okay. I, I want to just because I'm. I want to talk about hot Carla. Um so much and I'm sad that we barely see hot Carla in season two but she's such a big part of the actual book so we will definitely have to do oh she comes back in season three just because you know look now I want to see more hot Carla I know like they need to do like something just for that like maybe do um like an internet a web series of the web of the red wheelbarrow, so we can see Har Carla and see more of Leon and Santos and all that stuff. So, yeah. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, go pick up the red wheelbarrow, read it. We're gonna do a podcast about it. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. And and then that's also just another example of the show giving us these what would be minor characters that. And any other show probably wouldn't really have a vital role to the show, but here they do. And that's one of the things that I do love about this show is that any character, no matter how small their part is, it contributes to the overall storyline and Mm -hmm. everything that you do see contributes to the overall storyline. So nothing, you know, nothing is there without purpose. So, yeah. Again, that props to Sam and his team for all that. Yeah, they really are very detail-oriented from the music to what's in the set, everything. So just just a beautiful episode. Um, so we said we were going to talk a little bit about upcoming cast projects. Um, so we talked a little bit about Joey Badass at the beginning of the podcast. He's on tour. I believe I tweeted out some of his music this week. Um, so... Definitely, if you aren't following him on Twitter, he is on Twitter, and you can just go to at Joey Badass and follow him. We are definitely going to um, shout out to him and let him know we were talking about him on our podcast. Um, also, we know that Rami Malik is going to be starring as Freddie Mercury um, in an upcoming movie. What do you ladies think about that? Do we think Rami can pull this off? What do you? I know he's your pocket prince, Southern Cynic, so I'm going to ask you first. Do you think he can pull this off? I, I think he can. Um, and actually, you know, I'm just glad to see him in a more serious role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he can definitely pull off the look. We're going to see if he can lip sync for his life. But um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see it. You know, I think he's saying he talked about yeah. actually laying down tracks, so oh. apparently he can sing, yeah, oh. yeah, that was um, I think during a Jimmy Kimmel appearance, yeah, yeah, it was on Jimmy Kimmel. He talked about um working with a movement coach, and we know he can move because I know you sent me that gift um from Night of the Museum, so we've seen him <laughs> dance a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think, Akira? Uh, I think he can pull it off. I am very, it's, I'm very eager to see how, you know, what what he'll bring to the role. Um, because, I mean, we've always seen him, you know, I think that this is going to be the first, um, you know, uh, well, character based on, you know, character that is a, you know, a living, that was a living person. So with these type of roles, I'm always curious to see what actors will bring to it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, as you know, I don't think he's going to suck it up. You know, I think he'll do good. Um, so yeah, I mean, and of course, I mean, it's clean. So yes, you know, definitely looking forward to singing the songs in the theater and everything. So yeah, just be patient and wait for it. I think it's interesting because I think it was on, I don't know if it was on that Jimmy Kimmel episode or something I read where he talked about the fact that Freddie Mercury was actually very shy 
um, and that what you saw on stage was really a stage persona, but he was actually a very shy person. So mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting to see um, Rami Malik dig into this juxtaposition with a character. And I think he could, um, it'll be interesting to see him play, play kind of both roles with, with Freddie Mercury, the flamboyant stage presence, and then this um, shyer figure. I think he would do both beautifully. So I'm not, I don't even think they've started actually shooting that, but he's been prepping for it. So I have no idea when that even is going to come out. But um, one thing that I do know is that we are going to see Craig Robinson in the fall. He is starring in a new series called Ghosted. It's going to be on Fox. And he is starring with Adam Scott um, in the series. And we know Adam Scott from Parks and Rec. And he was also in a series called, I believe it was called Party Down. My husband loves that series. And they were also in Hot Tub Time Machine. Is that the name of this movie? Hot Tub Time Machine? <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. never saw it. Me neither. No, yeah, me neither. Summer Cynic, haven't, haven't you seen it? I thought Summer Cynic saw it. No, that was concerns when they when they um first announced that he was coming onto the show. I was like, well, how is this going to work? This is the dude from Hot Tub Time Machine. You know, okay. he's great. I love Craig, but I just I couldn't see it at the time. Well, <laughs> he showed he us. <laughs> he showed us. So this Ghosted show is coming out in the fall, and it um, basically is set in L.A., and they said it's supposed to be a comedic version of The X-Files. What do we think? Can The X-Files be a comedy? What do you think, Akira? I would be very curious to see how they'll do it. Um, I mean... I mean, if you can take something and post, take something and turn it, find the find the comedic aspects of it. Yeah, I would actually, I would tune in to see how they would do that. Um, and I mean, Craig is, Craig is pretty funny. Craig is hilarious, so I'm definitely. He is. It's definitely something that you know. Upon hearing more about it, it's piquing my interest. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll give this a shot and see, see how they do, see how they do with this. What do you think, Southern Cynic? Would you watch it? I'd, I'd give it a couple of shows. You know, I'll give it three episodes. See how it is. You'll give it three episodes. Um, I don't, you know, I don't trust Fox um, that much anymore. I tried to, you know, they burnt me on Sleepy Hollow. Um, mm-hmm. There was a couple other shows that, oh, they, they burnt me on Pitch because Didn't Pitch just, was yeah. great. And they canceled that. Um, So it's like every time I kind of think I'm I'm liking a show, they just either ruin it or cancel it. So sometimes I'm a little bit wary with investing my time with them. But I I might, you know, take one for the team. Like you said, Southern Cynic, I might give it three, three episodes. I'm just worried I'm really going to like it and then it's going to go away. But oh, gotta gotta take a chance on TV sometimes. Um, so Akira, I think you are gonna do our podcast shout out because we are trying to spread the love the way people have been supporting this podcast. We want to support other folks. And um, which podcast are you gonna shout out tonight, Akira? All right. Well, this week I want to give a special shout out to the guys over at Scene and Nerd. Um, they. <laughs> Yeah, they've been um, doing some really good stuff. Um, one of their main um, podcasts, when they talk about Mr. Robot, um, I've had the, the pleasure of being on there a few times, talking with Sarah and Will. Will, actually, I think just finished the binge. So, Will, I hope your brain is okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he needs to take some Adderall to stay awake. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Can you imagine watching the show on Adderall? But oh um, no, I cannot. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, um, I love yeah, love Sarah and Will, cool people. So if you guys get a chance, um, check them out on uh, Cena Nerd at Cena Nerd. Um, yeah, just some cool, just some cool people. Okay, and so why don't Will um 
we'll add them on our Twitter page. So if folks want to find them, they can find them on our Twitter page. So that is definitely, it's always nice to find new podcasts. So um, once again, you guys have spent another hour with us. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please feel free to drop us a line on the Twitter. I am at CTaleen, at C-T-A-L-L-E-E-N. Um, you can also follow us at Unmasked Podcast. You can find us through the search engine. So then, Cynic, tell them um, where they can find you. You can find me in those Twitter streets at Southern Cynic. And Akira? Yeah, they can find me at HelloFriend, um, HelloFriend1, H3LL0FRI3ND1. Sounds good. And please remember that the Unmasked Podcast is part of the Brothers Comics family of podcasts. And you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on SoundCloud and Stitcher and wherever else quality podcasts are sold. So um, sign off, ladies. Say good night. Good night. Good night. And good night, and we will see you next week. I think we are good, ladies. I'm just trying to end it. Okay, I'm sorry. I hope nobody heard me frying bacon. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know until you said something. Didn't even notice no noise. No sizzling. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Okay, it's... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.